Hey there, it's Martha. Grant and I are so grateful for your notes and phone calls during this difficult moment. You've sent us so many messages in recent weeks telling us how much you appreciate the show. You've said you're grateful that you can tune in, take a break, and spend some time pondering thoughtful, complex ideas away from the world's new worries. Your kind words have helped keep us on track as we plan new episodes of the radio show. Thank you so much for helping to make this community of language lovers a reality. Join us and lots of folks like you who show their support of Away With Words at waywardradio.org slash donate. Take care, stay safe, keep pondering, and let us hear from you. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. We asked for your workplace jargon, and we got some from Aaron Failing. He lives in Savannah, Georgia. And he sent us these bits of jargon from his industry. Apple box, full apple, half apple, quarter apple, and pancake. But he doesn't work in apple picking, I bet. No, he doesn't. Not in the food industry. Not in the food industry. Some at all. kind of, but he's measuring things mm, out. Yeah, right. Yep, different gradations. Different gradations. Is it agriculture yeah. at all? No. No. Is it uh, some kind of metalworking? No. Uh, construction business? No. Uh, film business. <gasps> How did you wait? How did you get from <laughs> agriculture and construction I to knew film? Th- there's something in the apple box that gave it away, but I don't remember exactly really? what it is. Yeah, uh, I have a couple dictionaries of um, movie making terms. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly where they were. I, I've browsed them. <laughs> oh, there you go. I I should have known. I couldn't bring you. <laughs> and I have friends in the movie making business. <laughs> oh well, there. Yeah, and now you know Aaron in uh, Savannah. Go. He's a special effects technician, and an apple box is is a strong wooden box that's enclosed mm-hmm. on all sides and it's got holes on opposite ends it's so you can't put anything in it but you can use it to uh, let people stand on if they're too short to be in the shot right. and they're different uh, you know different things can be propped up there but uh, so when your male lead's shorter than your female lead you can make him look taller yeah <laughs> yeah yeah in fact they're sometimes known as a man maker <laughs> And a full set of those boxes, the apple box and the full apple, is known as an orchard. Isn't that orchard? How about that? Yeah. Yeah. What's the other term, the last term? Uh, Pancake. What's the pancake? Is this like a kookaburras? No, no, I think it's a really really flat one. Oh, really really flat one. I see. So you get a couple inches, but not much more. Okay. Yeah. I got all excited about these terms and I did some browsing myself in a wonderful book called AVA to Z, an encyclopedic dictionary of media, entertainment, and other audiovisual terms by Richard Kroon. You may own this. I might. That might be one of them. It's super. I had so much fun digging down. Yeah. So we're talking more than 100 years of of movie making jargon and slang just piled on. And it's characteristic. It's got a lot of color and flavor, right? A this lot is, of color and flavor. It's not boring, this stuff. And yeah. some of it is mysterious and nobody knows where it came exactly. from. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. In fact, I'm going to talk about another one of those later in the show. Exciting. You know, we'd still like to hear the cool, colorful language from inside your business, your hobbies, or the things that you love to do. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org or tell us on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. Hi there. You have a way with words. Hi, my name is Ash. I'm from Arlington, Texas. And growing up, uh, whenever we would get a painful bump on the side of our tongue, my great aunt Vera would always call them lie bumps. Oh. And 
So, of course, that would make me go through my mind and think, you know, what what do I need to fess up about? And I think that was the point. But um, <laughs> right. uh, I never heard it anywhere else. And so I just knew that y'all might, if, if anybody would know, it would be y'all. Lie bumps. So you get a red bump, just kind of a too much abrasion on your tongue or uh, some food made it raw, something like that, right? Right. Yeah. Or you told a lie. You do- <laughs> or exactly, yeah. If you were lying about something, that would happen. Oh, you don't you think- want to lie to great Aunt Vera. <laughs> <laughs> no, ma'am. Did she ever convince you to really spill the beans? No, I always tried to think of what else would cause this bump because I know that that can't be true. <laughs> They are so common that you will find lie bumps mentioned in lots of medical textbooks. You'll find that term itself mentioned. The medical term for it is papillitis. They're caused by um, sharper, crusty foods that um, just cause abrasion or rough. Um, they just debrade the, the skin of the tongue. Yeah. And just basically cause some kind of a redness. Yeah. Sometimes white bumps, okay. usually red, yeah. What was it called? Papillitis, P-A-P-I-L-L-I-T-I-S. Yeah, the papillae are the taste buds, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so do you think the lie of papillae might be the no, prob- the No, probably not. Probably not. It's probably just a convenient way to get kids. There's always all these adult tricks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you know, that's in, what it sounds like. In some folklore books, they do mention that this is a really widespread bit of folklore about mm-hmm. these bumps being related to a falsehood being told or lies or something else related to dishonesty um, throughout the South and African-American culture again and again and again it comes up. So it's, an, it's not just your family and it's not just Texas. It's, it's throughout uh, hundreds of years, actually. That actually reminds me of a thing that some cultures do, though they lick a hot spoon. And, like, look on your tongue to see if you're lying. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Who I does can't that? tell you what culture does it, but I've seen it. Yeah. I've never heard so, of I mean, that. I, That's cool. Oh, really? Wait a minute. I want to have a look at your tongue now. <laughs> really? Look it up. That, okay. <laughs> well, where, how do you not know where it is, but you know the, the, you know the story? <laughs> Oh, I know bits and pieces of trivia from everywhere, but I really can't fill in all the pieces all the time. You know, there's only so much space. You should fill in for me the next time I can't make it to the studio. You've got a tongue as bumpy as an alligator purse, lady. Oh, I'm honored. (laughs) No, I'll lick the spoon. I'll lick the spoon. (laughs) All right. Thank you for your call. Really appreciate it. Okay. Thanks. Love your show. Cheers. Thanks, Ash. Bye-bye. (laughs) Bye-bye. Well, and I bet lie bumps are just so common. That right. Everyone has them, right? Right. Yeah. 877-929-9673. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, is this Grant? This is Grant. Who am I talking to? You are talking to Lisa Folkert from um, Bucolic, West Grove, Pennsylvania. Bucolic. Lovely word. <laughs> Isn't it awesome? And we're going to be talking about animals. So animals. Animals oh. from Bucolic. <laughs> hey, Martha. Mm, hey. Welcome to the show. What can we do Thank for you. you about animals? I like to think a lot of people have words that they just like to say. Words are fun. Um, and for some reason, this little group of word just, words just tickles um, my s- sister and I, like canine, feline, bovine, porcine, ursine, um, all those that have to do with, with animals. And I'm sure there are more. And Martha, I think you actually recently mentioned pavanine. Oh, yeah. Having to do with peacocks. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you. Oh, you're welcome. For adding to our collection. <laughs> your menagerie there. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Um, so I, we were just kind of wondering, I mean, I know they're all adjectives, and we sometimes use some of them as nouns, but is there a word for these words? 
Is there a word for words that uh, <laughs> that describe different animals, like bovine, which means like a cow, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're often called animal adjectives, and another term for it is collateral adjectives. Those are adjectives that apply to a particular class of things. Oh, interesting. But for collateral adjectives, it's not just for animals. It can also refer to non-animal things, like pluvial means related to rain, mm-hmm. riparian oh. means... River. Riverbanks and yeah. literal means. What do you say, literal? Literal. Oh, oh, shores. Shores, yeah. yeah. So, but those are also collateral adjectives. Yeah. Uh, and the the fun part about this for me is that usually it's a, a matter of a Greek or Latin root, and I was having fun trying to guess the ones that Grant <laughs> was talking about there. There are probably some other ones that you know and don't realize you know, like what about asinine? Oh. Where does that come from? It comes from the Latin word asinus, which means a donkey. Oh, that's funny, because they also found anserine. Oh, yeah, which means uh, having to do with a a goose, right? Geese, which also means stupid Mm -hmm. or silly. Yes, yes, it can mean silly. Another one is lupine, the flower. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, from wolves. Right, right. A lupine is a flower that's erroneously named because people used to think it wolfed nutrients out of the soil, which actually it does not. It's a nitrogen-fixing plant. So that's that's one you already know. I wonder if you can guess this one. If you know that the Greek word for a horse is hippos, what do you think a, a hippotigrine would be? Oh, my goodness. Hippotigrine animal. Because that sounds like you're combining two animals. Mm -hmm. Well, you kind of are. (laughs) I'm not sure that that occurs naturally in nature. (laughs) Well, it does. It's black and white. (laughs) Yeah, right? It's black and white. Yes, yes. Hippotigrine is... is, uh, And and I'll give you just a couple more that I really like that that don't end in the uh, I-N-E. Suffix, vespertilian. Oh, very nice. Isn't that a gorgeous word? That is. I'm writing these down. Oh, good. Yeah, vespertilian means having to do with bats. Because they come out in the evening. Yes, yes. At the same time you sing your vespers. Exactly. Ah, It comes from the Latin for evening or evening star. And one more that you won't see very often, but I'm surprised we don't hear it more, is struthonian. S-T-R-U-T-H-O-N-I-A-N, Struthonian. Is that related to God's truth? Uh, n- no, but, <laughs> but that's it's a good truth. <laughs> a struthos, homegos, was uh, a really big sparrow. That was their term for ostrich. Oh. And so if somebody is struthonian, they're sticking their head in the sand. Oh, lovely. <laughs> Which is actually very funny because my sister often accuses me of sticking my head in the sand. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so I am struthonian. Mm-hmm, struthonian. Very interesting. There are lots of those. If you just Google animal adjectives, you'll find mm-hmm. lists of them. Another strategy is to take the, the five or six ones that you most likely know mm-hmm. um, and Google them all together at once, and you'll come up with lists that have those five or six and tons more. Okay, interesting. Well, I, I did find one other thing when I was I was kind of looking up animals, barnyard animals mm-hmm. specifically, because so many of the, well, the ones that I named um, tend to be from the barnyard animals. And uh, I looked up pigs, and the genus for pigs is Sus, S-U-S, mm-hmm. which made me think, well, that's, is that then where we, we come up with calling for pigs? It is pigs? indeed. <laughs> Absolutely. That is where we come up with the pig call. 
That is so interesting. But that must go back quite a ways. Yeah, uh, many, yeah. many years. Yeah, many, many years. Yeah, to Greek. Great. That answers my questions and gives me more things to add to our list. <laughs> you must <laughs> be fun on road trips. Well, I, I'd like to think so. <laughs> Lisa, thank you for your call. Thanks so much. All right, take, take care. care now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org or talk to us on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. We had a conversation a few weeks ago about the Finnish term sisu, mm-hmm. meaning intestinal fortitude. That's right. Something the like the that. Finns all have fantastic fortitude. Yes, yes. And we got uh, further elucidation about that word from Benjamin Marina. He's a print artist in northern Wisconsin who actually operates under the name Sisu Press. Uh-huh. And he says, I'm from a Finnish immigrant community, and I've heard the word my whole life. One thing worth mentioning is that what makes sisu different than grit is that sisu does not exist in a vacuum. In order to invoke your sisu, there must be resistance. It doesn't take sisu to climb Mount Everest. It takes sisu to climb Mount Everest with a pack of hungry wolves on your tail and you have no weapon, but you climb, you fight anyway. (laughs) (laughs) I see. So you have to have a challenge. Yeah. Not a challenge you made for yourself, but a challenge (laughs) the world threw at you. Yeah, just extra, extra. (laughs) Yeah, gotcha. 877-929-9673. This show is about language seen through the lenses of family, history, and culture. Stay tuned for more. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett, and we're joined by our quiz guide, John Chinesky. Hi, John. Hi, Grant. Hi, Martha. You know, there's a lot going on in today's quiz, but we need to know who is doing it. A common person's first name is hidden within each of the following sentences I'm going to deliver to you. So please tell me who is doing the doing. Now remember, the name will always be uh, five letters or longer. So here we go. Ah, the pool I've recently drained. The pool I've recently drained. Um, (laughs) Wow. Liver. Uh, <laughs> Actually, you're closing in on it. Oh, really? really? Oliver. 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 Oh, nice. Yes, very good. Here's the next one. The crewman drew a fine picture. Crewman? Crewman, yes. Andrew. Andrew, there it is. The crewman drew a fine picture. Andrew. How about this one? She can always tell a lie from the truth. Always tell a lie from the Stella. Stella, it is Stella. (laughs) Very good. He has her files well organized. Asher. Asher, yes, very good, Grant. Good. He'd rather a banana than an apple. Banana than Nathan? Nathan it is. Nice. Very good. Yeah. Nathan would rather banana. She loves a man that can solve puzzles. Of course she does. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Who doesn't? (laughs) Is Amantha a word? (laughs) Close. (laughs) Loves Samantha. (laughs) Samantha loves a man that can solve puzzles. Samantha. Samantha. 
Samantha, call me. Sammy. Her recipe for lasagna omitted garlic. That's her, that's terrible. I gotta include garlic. No, you want the garlic in there. Yeah, yeah, totally. Omitted, is that the word? Omitted, yes. Naomi. Naomi, yes. Very good, Martha. Though if there's someone out there called Forla, they, uh, we'll take that too. <laughs> sure, whatever. Maybe we'll start a new trend. Forla. <laughs> His anger wreaks havoc on normal days. Hmm. His anger wreaks havoc. Reek. Reeks or reeked? Reeks. But that's not important right now. How about Connor? Connor it is, Martha. We've we've got your wheelhouse, I think. (laughs) Here's the last one. He acts a bit showy at times. He acts a bit showy at Wyatt. Wyatt, it is. Nicely done, Grant, for the, uh, the to wrap us up there with uh, who's doing the doing. These are the people who are doing the doing. Wow. Nicely done. That's a new one. Yeah, I don't think we've done this one before. No, this is a haven't. new one for us. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, dude. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, talk John. Talk to you then. Bye-bye. <laughs> Well, we do a lot of goofing around on this show, and we talk about all aspects of language. So if you want to talk with us on the air, give us a call, 877-929-9673, or send your questions and stories about language to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, my name is Kathy Mache, and I'm from Jamestown, North Dakota. Hello, Kathy. Welcome to the show. Hi, Kathy. What's going on? The other day when we were driving along the road, we noticed a car with a flat tire, and I said, oh, yeah, that one's flat as a fliver. And um, my husband said, yep. And then he said, what is a fliver? And I said, I don't know. That's something I've said for years and years and years. And so we started thinking about it, and we have no idea where we got that saying. So I'm a Googler, so I Googled, and I came up with several different references, some people saying, no, it's fritter, some people saying it's flitter, Mm -hmm. Um, only one person saying fliver, Um, but then I did talk to my husband, and he said, no, he remembers saying it when he was a kid, and he's from the West Coast, and I remember hearing it when I was little, and I was actually from the East Coast, but my family was from the South, so I did ask my mom, and she said she doesn't remember saying it, but... She does remember the saying, flatter than a fliver. But we're just curious where it came from so and it w- what it actually means and whether or not it is fliver or we're making this up. So this was a tire <laughs> that was flat, out of air, and you said it was flat as a fliver. Am I thinking F-L-I-V-V-E-R? Yes. Okay. That's how I would have spelled it, yes. Well, so Martha and I both have the answers to this. One of the things I want to say about Googling is there's a lot of stuff that's not on Google, if you can believe that. So Martha and I both have deep libraries of stuff that has never been digitized and doesn't exist on the Internet. So there's two things happening here. One is I'm going to answer the fliver part, and Martha's going to answer the other part. The fliver is is an automobile. It's an old, junky automobile. Um, and a fliver dates back to around 1900s, and it originally meant a f- something that failed, like a stage show, a theatrical show, or a bad athlete, or a, a failed business. And we don't really know where the term comes from. And it, uh, a little bit later, it came to mean a failed or a cheap automobile, um, with the idea being that it, they were likely to break down. A lot of people think of Model Ts because they're very cheaply manufactured, and they people thought of them is like likely to fall apart, although the parts were also easy to get. So you might say a Model T was a fliver. And even today, some people talk about, you know, what your hoopty is your fliver. 
you know. <laughs> your hoop teacher. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really dated term at this point. But the expression flat as a fliver is more commonly known as, Martha? Flat as a flitter, flat as a fritter. Yeah. Meaning a pancake. Okay. Yeah. So you've, you've had a fliver, actually, probably. Yeah. For breakfast. <laughs> yeah. Pancake or something like that, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it has to do with frying up. Um, the, the word fritter comes from an old word that, that means to fry, and you get variants of that like flitter and fliver, which okay. is something really flat, right? Right, yes. And that goes back all the way to the 1870s yeah. or so, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, by far and away, uh, flat as a fritter or flat as a flitter, F-L-I-T-T-E-R, mm-hmm. far more common than flat as a fliver. Okay, well, you know, the Model T for fliver makes sense because my husband actually rebuilt a Model T and worked with Model T oh, nice. when he was a kid. So that's probably where he got the term fliver. And then who knows where I got it. I could have picked it up from him having heard it the other way. Mm-hmm. You know, glitter hmm. or fritter, and then once I got with—I mean, I've been with him for thirty years. So once I got with him, I may have changed it. Yeah, after having heard that word. Yeah, we do influence each other's language, don't we? <laughs> yes, yes. And when you come from, you know, completely across the country from each other, um, that gets a little interesting. <laughs> well, yeah. Call us again sometime about uh, another aspect of uh, your your common language. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I will keep that in mind if we have another time when we're like, what does that mean? I have no idea. Where did we get that? (laughs) Kathy, I bet you will. (laughs) (laughs) Kathy, it was a delight. Thanks for your call. We really appreciate it. All right. Thank you. It's been a lot of fun. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Oh, that was wonderful, right? Yeah, flat as a fliver, flat as a fritter, and flat as a flitter. Flat as I bet we get a lot more calls from people saying, "Oh, I know that you've yeah. just reminded me that my parents <laughs> used to say that, or that I remember when." And because that is just one of those things that you don't quite realize is the inheritance from your parents and grandparents and the great aunts and great uncles and oh, so forth, yeah. right? Those linguistic heirlooms. Mm-hmm. Call us with yours eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. I've been looking into Hungarian humor recently, and there is a variety of it that has to do with what they call aggressive kishmalats. Aggressive, what's the last part? Piglet. Aggressive piglet. <laughs> yes. And there are all these goofy, goofy jokes about a piglet, and the punchline you always scream in your rudest voice, and I won't do that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But, like, for example, a piglet walks into a bus station and says, I want a ticket. And the clerk says, where to? And the piglet says, none of your damn business. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. 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 Let me try another These are Hungarian jokes. Yes. Yes. Gotcha. A piglet falls into a pit. A rabbit shows up and says, wait, piglet, I'll get you a ladder. Piglet says, I'm not waiting. <laughs> oh, they're just aggressive piglet jokes. I mean, this is a thing. If you if you Google it, uh, if you Google Hungarian aggressive pig, you can you can see cartoons yeah. uh, on YouTube and uh, all these different versions of um, of aggressive piglet. 
<laughs> well, it reminds me of the German Antivitze. Right, Antivitze. yeah, the anti-jokes, yeah. Right, right, like the two muffins it, in the oven, and one of them says, gee, it's hot in here, and the other one says, oh, my God, a talking muffin. They're just, <laughs> <laughs> they're just ridiculous. Right. <laughs> but Hungarian aggressive piglet. Oh, thanks Google for that, it. Martha. <laughs> I'll have to share these with my tween. <laughs> 877-929-9673, or share your aggressive piglet jokes with us on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. Hello, you have a way with words. Hey, this is Juan. I'm calling from Dallas. Uh, I had a question about the word or phrase uh, cabin fever. So uh, I'm a Dallas native, uh, Texas born and raised. Uh, here down south, we don't necessarily stay in cabins for too long. <laughs> it's really hot down here. And uh, I was wondering if that was just like, a, you know, Colorado thing, a rocky thing, you know, people who stay in colder weather, you know, if they get stuck in a cabin for too long or where did that phrase originate from, or what does it mean? Cabin fever. Uh, well, it's not just about cabins. It's about any place that you might stay indoors for too long. So you could even get cabin fever in an air-conditioned hotel room. We do know something about the origin of the term, if you're interested. Yeah, for sure. I'd be interested in that. Yeah, the, there was a book published in 1918 by, by a woman whose name was Bertha Muzzy Sinclair. She was writing under this pen name B.M. Bauer, and it was titled Cabin Fever, and is actually about cabin fever. Um, and in the beginning of the book, she describes the whole book is about this notion that you could become so bored with life that you would kind of lash out and do uh, insane things. And she, she says, just as a body fed too long upon meat becomes a prey to that horrid disease called scurvy, so the mind fed too long upon monotony succumbs to the insidious mental ailment which the West calls cabin fever. So that West there, she capitalizes, and she's referring to people up in the mountains. So she's referring to prospectors and ranchers and trappers and frontiersmen and people um, lumberjacks, people cutting timber, that sort of thing. And she's referring to people who are trapped in the hills uh, during the winter, sometimes two to a cabin. So it's uh, just about the the utter monotony in the seasons where you can't do anything except stare your companions in the eyes. There's nothing to do except wait for the spring, you know? Oh, okay. So, but, but anyone could get cabin fever. It's just about being trapped in one space for too long. Oh, okay. That makes sense. There, there are other names for it. Um, you ever heard of being stir crazy? Uh, no, I haven't. So stir is old slang for jail, sometimes known as jail fever. And then um, shanty fever or being shack wacky. Shack wacky. I shack, hadn't heard that shack one. Shack wacky, yeah. <laughs> um, and then there's the opposite too, which is being going a little nutty for well, hill nutty for being out out in the outdoors too long. Hill nutty or staky or bushy or bushed. These are all for just being out in the wilderness way too long. So you're too disconnected from civilization or the urban environment. Huh, staky. How are you spelling oh. that? S-T-A-K-E-Y, staky. Okay. Yeah, or cool. bushy, bushed, hill nutty. Yeah. Didn't know those <laughs> words. Anyway, so there you go. How about that one? Awesome. I learned a lot today. I appreciate that. Yeah, sure. Thanks for your call. Appreciate it. All right. Have a good one, guys. You Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Some people think that cabin fever means cabins on ships, mm-hmm. but we don't have any evidence of that at all. Yeah, so I'm not surprised. So they think it's about being aboard a ship for too long, which you certainly can get stir crazy 
or a cabin fever, but we have no evidence that it comes from sh- from ships at all. Sure, sure. I can just see being being laid up in a cabin for months, oh, you know, yeah. in the w- those harsh winters. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Some of the dictionaries of Ramon Adams of Words of the West, oh, he talks yeah. about when two or more cowboys are snowed in at a line camp and forced to spend so much time in each other's company that they become hostile to each other. <laughs> they are said to get cabin fever. You just kind of like pick your <laughs> right. corner and just give right. each other the evil eye. <laughs> <laughs> no Wi-Fi. <laughs> no Wi-Fi. <laughs> oh, what a horrible thought. <laughs> it's whatever supplies you've laid in for the winter in yeah. each other's company, and oh. that's it. <laughs> 877-929-9673. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this Hi. is Kay Galbraith in Sparks, Nevada. Hi, Kay. Welcome to the show. Thanks. I'm delighted to be able to do this. What can we help you with? Over the years, I've had a a dilemma about the pronunciation of tinnitus or tinnitus. And recently, I bought hearing aids. And when I asked whether they could be set to mask my tinnitus, when Kim replied, he said tinnitus. So I've had the condition since the mid-90s and have heard both pronunciations, but most of the time, tinnitus is from professionals. And I remember years ago being in a medical terminology class, and we were uh, told that itis on the end of the word, like tonsillitis and appendicitis, meant that there was an inflammation. Well, I knew that didn't make sense with this. And so anyway, um, I've never really looked into it. And uh, Tim, the gentleman I bought my hearing aids from, says, why don't you call away with words? And I thought... That's a great idea, and I thought you guys would probably clear it up for us. It is a great idea. We're glad you called. (laughs) Your experience jibes with mine, uh, usually hearing medical professionals say tinnitus uh, rather Uh than tinnitus. I I think the rest of us (laughs) tend to say tinnitus just by analogy with arthritis and tonsillitis. Gastritis and mastitis. All those itises that that have to do with inflammation or disease. Um, but, but yeah, I suspect it goes back to the uh, Latin origins of the word. It comes from the Latin tenere, which means to ring or to tinkle. And, like a bell, not like yeah. in the bathroom. <laughs> like, like a bell. <laughs> and in fact, um, you know, the Edgar Allan Poe uh, poem with the tintinabulation, it's, it's a relative of that word uh, because tintinabulum in Latin means bell. Tinnitus or tinnitus tends to be. Uh, a kind of ringing sound or buzzing sound, right? Mm-hmm. True. Mine's kind of a high-pitched ringing, but I understand there's all kinds of sounds that are far more annoying than what I have. Hmm. So. I'm wondering, too, if medical professionals tend to pronounce it differently because it's spelled differently, right? It, it ends in a U.S., tinnitus. Uh, I, rather, yeah, I noticed that. Yeah. I never really looked it up before. Yeah. I just kept saying tinnitus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I did the same thing growing up, and uh, it was only recently when I heard a doctor talking about it that I started listening more closely. And and indeed, I hear lots of medical professionals say tinnitus. So uh, either one's correct. I, th- I think the vast majority of us tend to say tinnitus. And, and okay. there are even style guides that will, will that will tell broadcast announcers to say tinnitus. Yeah, right? that's right. I found an NBC style gu- guide from the 1950s. That's the pronunciation that they recommended even back then. Hmm. I'll be darned. Okay. <laughs> I thought maybe tinnitus was 
actually correct. So either one is. Well, I'd say you clarified it pretty good for me. It's not exactly wrong, so I'll just probably continue with tinnitus. I think that's a good decision. You're not wrong. (laughs) Thank you so much for your call. (laughs) Good, good. And thanks so much. I really enjoy your show. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks. Uh Bye. Bye Bye-bye. 877-929-9673. Grant, can I tell you one more Hungarian aggressive pig joke? You're going to shout at me again. (laughs) No, no, I won't. I'll step away from the mic. Okay. But here's the joke. Piglet runs a red light and gets pulled over by the police. The officer says, Piglet, that'll cost you $200. And the piglet says, I'm not buying anything. (laughs) These these are ridiculous. Look it up. Hungarian aggressive piglet jokes online. I'm not buying anything. That was good. For some reason, I'm imagining Piglet from Winnie the Pooh, which kind of, I I don't imagine him angry because he's such a sweet little thing. But imagining him angry makes it even weirder. Maybe that's some of the appeal. Yeah, but but they're real cute piglet cartoons online. Yeah. 877-929-9673. Support for Away With Words comes from Jack and Caroline Raymond, proud sponsors of Wayward Inc., the nonprofit that produces and distributes this program. What's a year of language podcast worth to you? Make a donation at waywardradio.org to let us know. Thank you. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. The Harry Potter series has been translated into dozens of different languages now. And uh, there was a little bit of, I don't know if you'd call it translation or not, between uh, the British version and the version that was published here in the United States. Mm -hmm. Uh, For example, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone in this country became Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. And uh, there were a lot of other things that were Americanized in that version, like Changing pudding to dessert and kippers to sausages and jumpers to sweaters and trainers to to sneakers. And uh, we just had an interesting discussion on our Facebook group about whether or not that's a good idea. Do kids really need to have that kind of book translated for them? Mm-hmm. And there were there were differing opinions. You know, some people said you want to make it accessible to uh, young people, and but on the other hand, Quidditch is a made up word. All the spells, yeah, all the spells, all the names of all the people and all the places, yeah, right, all the world itself, the 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 Potter Potter Dum itself, all of that stuff is new. So, yeah. what are a few Britishisms if you're an American? Right. And speaking of spell, you know, the the term scotch tape in this country is cello tape right. yeah, over there. Right, byros and, and so forth. Right, right. And so uh, the pun spello tape, uh, which is what wizards use, mm-hmm. uh, is lost on American readers. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had uh, different opinions on, on our Facebook group about that. Yeah. Uh, Scott said the whole point or one of the points of reading fantasy and science fiction is to stretch the mind beyond the normal workaday or school-a-day experience. Being challenged by such broadened my vocabulary as well as my imagination. Yeah, that's how I feel. If, if Tolkien had been somehow Americanized when I'd read it as a boy, I, I, it would have been 
horrible for me. I, I, I would have missed some of the flavor of the book. Uh-huh. And I actually, once I realized as an adult that I was reading the Americanized version of Harry Potter, I mm. sought out the British versions ah, you for, did. The, for the later, uh-huh. the later, the later volumes. Uh-huh. I didn't want to read the Americanized uh-huh. versions. Well, I'm, I'm sure our listeners have opinions about yeah. that. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, there's a new Yiddish version of Harry Potter. Oh, how about that? How cool is that? I don't speak or read Yiddish, but that's super interesting. (laughs) Yeah, there was an interesting article in uh, Tablet Magazine about that and about the fact that uh, Yiddish is a Germanic language, so the English sounds aren't that foreign. So, for example, Harry's classmate, Neville Longbottom, didn't have to be translated into Neville Longtukas. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, he is Neville Longtukas? No, he's not. Oh, okay. He's not. What is he then? He's just Neville Longbottom. Oh, okay, gotcha. In that that book. You can find all of the episodes of this show on our website at waywardradio.org. And call us. We'll talk about language. Have a good time. 877-929-9673. Email us to words at waywardradio.org. Or talk to us on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. Hi there. You have a way with words. Hi. My name is Evelyn. I am calling from Twin Hills, Alaska. What's going on, Evelyn? What would you like to talk with us about? Well, I uh, remember hearing as growing up uh, an expression, uh, would you like an egg in your beer? And uh, I use it when somebody is acting like they're a little bit discontented, like things aren't going their way, and they want this and that and the other. And Somebody who is listening would say, well, how about an egg in your beer, too? So let's just like a make up a scenario. They um, picture this. Oh, so you've served them a meal. You've given them biscuits. You've given them bacon. You've given them eggs. And they still, still seem unhappy. And you're like, what do you want, an egg in your beer, too? Something like exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, something like that. Or if they're just having a kind of a rough day and they want things to go their way and they want the bus to be on time or they want, uh, you know, they didn't want their suitcase to be lost by the airlines, and somebody would say, huh, well, how about an egg in your beer, too? Gotcha. Yeah, that <laughs> makes sense. Um, this this one goes back quite a ways. You know, there used to be a thing to serve eggs in beer. It was Ew. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Apparently, um, it was uh, the custom. Some people might have thought it was a little bit of an aphrodisiac. Some people just might have liked the taste or just uh, thought of it as a, a meal. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> justify okay. it that way. You paid a little extra for the privilege, although some establishments might throw it in for free. The earliest use that I know is from 1933, but they really caught on during World War II. In exactly the way that you're saying, it's a little bit... Like we might say today, not quite the same, but um, what do you want, a cookie? So there's a little bit of an edge to it. Sometimes it's sarcastic or, is that all, your highness? (laughs) (laughs) What else do you want? Or you're never happy. It's kind of one way of saying you're never happy. It's it's never really kind, I should say. Mm. It's almost always... um, just kind of uh-huh. shut your yap. It is what it is. Let's move forward and quit just, your complaining. Yeah, just, just let's just deal okay. with this, right? Usually, yeah. that usually right. that's how it is. In an old newspaper, there was a there's one exchange. Actually, this is the earliest use that I know of. There's two fans who are kind of talking after leaving the polo grounds in Brooklyn after the Giants beat the Dodgers. Of course, neither of those teams are still in Brooklyn. And one fan uh-huh. talking about. The Giants' second baseman, Burgess Whitey Whitehead, says, too bad he can't hit. Now, remember, the Giants have just beat the Dodgers. The other fan says, 
kind of with the typical Brooklyn sarcasm is, what do you want, an egg in your beer? Because mm -hmm. this guy is complaining, even though the Giants still beat them. He's just, he wants more. He wants the second baseman to still be good at hitting. So it's very mm -hmm. much the thing. I want everything. I want the cherry on top as well as the <laughs> delicious cake, you know? Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah, really caught on during World War II. You'll often find it mentioned in um, fiction works where people are trying to get this uh, kind of the true nature of the way that soldiers talked during World War II. Though, uh, fiction writers will kind of capture some of the way that they spoke or the way that they wrote their letters back by using phrases like that. Hmm. So, a little extra protein, but... <laughs> yeah, what do you want, an yeah. egg in your beer? <laughs> Well, somebody suggested to me, I think my husband suggested maybe it was a, a kind of a really uh, extra special hair of the dog if you had had too much to drink the <laughs> night before. And uh, that's, a, as you say, sort of like breakfast, maybe. Yeah, I have seen that on some television shows where, they'll, like, the next morning somebody will crack an egg in their beer. Maybe even in a Sylvester Stallone movie where he does that. Uh, with a little Tabasco. I think it was Rocky. He put about five eggs or something. Oh, yeah, yeah I'm not was? sure there was beer in there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think it was just a glass of eggs. I think you're right. Yeah, everyone. I mean, that's what I'm thinking of. Anyway, thank yeah. you for your call, Evelyn. We really appreciate it. Bye. Have a good day. The World War II was just this uh, storm of language. Mm -hmm. uh, all these soldiers coming together, bringing language from all quarters of the world, all the English speakers from all the English-speaking countries getting together, mm -hmm. mixing together, yeah. and the best phrases won and spread to all the other languages, and they <laughs> took them back home, and language flourished. Yeah. 877-929-9673. <laughs> from Brian Snyder, who lives in Harvest, Alabama, which is outside Huntsville. And he says, I'm 60 now, but when I was a boy, I would love to go to my granddad's house for humlabas. I have no idea of the spelling, but he's, he spells it H-O-O-M-L-A-B-B-A. That's his attempt. And he says, a humlaba was any kind of meat on a biscuit. He would tell me that cowboys ate them on the trail, and he was very interested in horses. I've never heard that term from anyone but him. It could just be something he made up, I suppose. Yeah, I don't know that Humlabas. No, uh, I'd love to find out more about that. That's new, a new one for me. Yeah, well, who knows about humlabas? <laughs> so this is a kind of meat you'd eat on a biscuit yeah. or on bread. Yeah. If you can help Brian out, give us a call or send us an email, 877-929-9673, or tell us about humlabas at words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hello, my name is C.A. Perry from Indianapolis, Indiana. Well, C.A., welcome. What can we do for you, sir? Well, I was calling in about a an expression that was used by my late mother. She was a workaholic. She worked around the house dusting, mopping, sweeping, just constantly working. And oftentimes when I would call her and she was very tired, she would use the expression, I am just dead on foot. And I was wondering, where would such an expression like that come from? Dead on foot. And you took it to mean that she was uh, uh, basically a dead tired. Yes. Yeah. Well, the dead for tired to completely tired comes from about the early 1800s. Um, 
most people usually say dead on one's feet or dead on my feet. And that comes from the late 1800s. The way your mother put it, dead on foot, is an unusual construction, but very similar. And it reminds me of a, a line from an old Saturday Evening Post story. There's a story by Kenneth Harris called Dancy's Legacy uh, about 100 years ago. And it's about an old man who didn't know he was dead yet and kept moving around out of force of habit. You just get so that every all the chores get to be so customary and just part of your daily ritual that the body keeps moving and even though you've got nothing left in you and it just I can understand I, I'm one of five kids myself I can just can see that I can recognize your mother and my mother and know what that was like to be so tired to take care of the kids in the house and just be so tired at the end of the day you've got you just keep going even you're just though, going through the motions just going through the motions even though you got nothing left in you so uh, that's that's what we know about that expression, C.A. Very interesting. I listen to you guys all the time, my wife and I, and we just love your show. Well, thank oh, you very thanks. much. We appreciate it. Thank, yeah. thank you for reaching out. Thank you very much. Uh, all right. Take care now. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Boy, I can identify with that. I've never heard that version of it. I'm dead on foot. Dead on foot. But I'm, I'm thinking about... Um, other things you might do on foot. What else would you do on foot? Well, I'm, I'm picturing a horse, you know, mm-hmm. that who's pulling a cart and has just been pulling all day and mm-hmm. just kind of one foot in front of the other. Yeah. Not even thinking about where they're going. Well, I'm thinking about, well, traveling on foot as opposed to traveling on a, a human traveling on foot as opposed mm-hmm. to traveling on in a car or traveling on a, a plane or something like that. Just the idea of trotting and mm-hmm. plodding and the misery of it as opposed to everyone else zooming by. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Danielle. I'm calling from Wells, Vermont. Hello, Danielle. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I love it. Oh, yay. What can yay. we do for you? My question is about the white animals that come out at night and eat lots of ticks. Um, is it possum or opossum? And is the O silent? And how do you write it out on the page and how do you say it? So opossum or possum, so these, they have the pointy nose and lots of teeth and they carry their babies on their outside on their fur, right? Yes. And they have the the whip-like tails. Yeah, sort of bear, right? Yeah, bear, uh, furless oh, tails. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, what mm-hmm. do you say, Daniel? Only marsupial in North America. There you go. Yes, yes. Sounds like you've been doing some reading on it. Yeah, they have lots of interesting anatomical features. Um, but what do you say for it? I have always said a possum, and I think that's because of how I read it on the page. Mm-hmm. But um, my husband uh, spent time in Georgia for his high school education, and he has only ever heard people say possum. Mm-hmm. It just came up this week that it turns out those may have been the same thing, but um, I need to find out, could the O really be silent, mm-hmm. or are they referring to a different animal? What's going on here? Yeah, no, the, the O's not silent. It's, it's two versions of the same word. 
And it's a really cool word. It, it originated in a Native American language, Algonquian, where a similar sounding word to opossum meant the white animal or the white beast. It took a couple of different turns that are, that are kind of interesting because that Native American term got applied uh, in this country to the animal that you're describing. And explorers also went to Australia and applied it to a different animal in Australia that's uh, usually had has, has a furry tail and it's got a ring and it's called a possum, just simply possum, P-O-S-S-U-M. But so it's not that the O is silent. It's really that there are two different versions of that word, opossum and possum. And uh, like your husband, I grew up saying possum. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, grinning like a basket full of possum heads. Was, <laughs> was, I never said that. <laughs> you know, because they kind of grin. <laughs> I, and I think mostly in the South. You yeah. would hear possum. Well, there's a thing that happens when a word starts with a vowel like that, mm-hmm. a vowel consonant, where the it's easy to lose that O because that, that first syllable is unstressed. So right. that O uh, defaults to a schwa or an O, and it, it, it just falls away, and it mm-hmm. just turns into possum. So that naturally happens for a lot of speakers. And you will find almost from the very beginning the possum spellings where the O isn't even there or there's no vowel at the beginning. Like as soon as we find versions of the word that have the O, almost immediately we find versions of the word. And we're talking the 1600s. We find versions of the word that don't have the O at the beginning. So it started immediately. Yeah, yeah, that process is called aphesis, and the same thing happens with alone and loan, for example. You don't have uh, that syllable's not accented, and it's and it's easy to just fall away. So I, I think your question also is: Is it correct to say a possum as opposed to an opossum? Is that is that right? Yes. I would say either one is correct. I mean, an opossum sounds much more formal to me. But it sounds like Danielle (laughs) says a possum. Is that are you saying the O is a schwa or are you saying are you saying Well, it sounds like it's correct to say either a space possum right. or an space opossum. Right. That is correct. Okay. Uh, some people will say opossum. I gotta admit, I usually when I hear people say opossum, it's in a either an ironic or very self conscious way. I rarely hear people say anything but possum when they're just speaking casually and not okay. not actually talking about the word. Mm-hmm. When people are trying to make a point about the word, then they kind of overtly and winkingly say opossum. Yeah, I'm thinking of the term play possum. Yeah. You know, if, if somebody's pretending they're dead or, or something, mm-hmm. an animal is pretending it's dead, I have never heard anybody say, oh, they're playing opossum. No, they don't say that. <laughs> no. Right. Playing possum. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I would say play possum too, but um, okay, so maybe you know only if you think about it too hard. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, but uh, either one, either one works across the United States. Both both are used, and possum probably is used by most people. Okay, thank you so yeah, much. Sure, thanks for calling. Take care. You too. Yep. But this is a great example of a Native American word borrowed into English that has a long life and still has heavy daily use. And I love that it not only is used in American English, but is used in Australian English as well, right? Yeah, it went a long way. It went a long way. And there is some debate in Australian English about the origins of the word. Some of them don't even know that it comes from a Native American language. Mm, Yeah. Yeah, I heard heard a podcast recently where they were discussing it, and there was some befuddlement about where does this word come from, which of the Aboriginal languages, and they didn't didn't know. 
and it was it was charming because um, they have their own rich linguistic history with their sure. own their own l- local languages, and uh-huh. so they were they were working hard at it, but kind of missing the trick. <laughs> 877-929-9673 is the number to call to talk with us or send your questions and stories about language to words at waywardradio.org. Thanks to senior producer Stephanie Levine, director Colin Tedeschi, editor Tim Felton, and production assistant Caitlin O'Connell. You can send us a message, subscribe to the podcast, get the newsletter, or catch up on hundreds of past episodes at waywardradio.org. Our toll-free line is always open in the U.S. and Canada, 877-929-9673. Or send us your thoughts to words at waywardradio.org. Away With Words is an independent production of Wayward, Inc., a nonprofit supported by listeners and organizations who are changing the way the world talks about language. We're coming to you from the Recording Arts Center at Studio West in San Diego, California. Thanks for listening. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. Until next time, goodbye. Bye.